Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more podcasts and more information on your number one news and talk station, please visit 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clappy. 27 minutes to 10 o'clock. Good morning to you, Chris. Morning. Lovely to have you with us. Now, I haven't had Thomas on the show for weeks now. As you know, he was covering the Olympics. He got lost very often. We heard from our colleague, David O'Sullivan, getting onto the wrong tube and so on. What advice would he give Thomas? What should he have done and what should he do next time he's in London? Stay at home, I think. Ah. <laughs> Oh, it's noted I get lost on the underground sometimes. It's, it is difficult. Um, I think, you know, foreigners, when, when they come to London, it, it, there's such a tide of people going everywhere. It's really hard, even if you live there, to make sure that you don't get pushed into the wrong archway and, and end up on the wrong train. So uh, I sympathise with Thomas. I am chagrined nonetheless that he didn't manage to get a, a random train that came my way and come and see me because I did <laughs> offer to feed him. I was very surprised he didn't turn up. We know why he didn't turn up because where, wherever he was, because I asked him how much he spent on food and he said nothing i said what do you mean because i'd warned him he that spent it all expensive. on underground tickets yeah on underground tickets <laughs> and they were feeding him so maybe that's why he didn't want to leave the olympic village because there was plenty oh, okay. of okay it makes sense makes yeah. sense okay our lines are open for you on 021-446-0567-011-8830702 let's go to ross in thornton cape town good morning good morning um yes i've got a puzzle here these special heaters you know they're called economy heaters and they say that with the light what is the power of a couple of light bulbs you can heat your room now i can't understand this because surely the amount of electricity you put in is going to be converted into heat energy and that's then going to give you a certain amount of heat out i can't see you know how one heater can be more economical than another Hello, Ross. Uh, well, I, I sort of agree with you in the sense that you're right. If you put energy in, you're going to get energy out. And I think it depends on what sort of light bulb they're talking about. And it might be that one of these heaters is very good at storing the heat. In other words, you've got something in there which soaks up the heat energy and then releases it slowly over a period of time. And this improves the ambient temperature of the room. It might be that, that it's producing a sort of a comfort effect. So rather than the, the room getting very, very hot, um, and then as soon as you turn the heater off, of course, all that heat disappears and it gets cold again. So it might be that it's helping to maintain the status quo and we know that humans are quite sensitive to change in temperature not so much the absolute temperature within limits and it might be that that's something to do with it but but i agree with you if you put energy in you get energy out because you can't make or, or remove energy and so 
if an, if a light bulb is heating the room or you've got a heater behaving as a heater using the same amount of current as the light bulb will be drawing, then it's using as much energy. So it should be one or the other the same. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, Ross. Let's go to Jessica in Fowies. Hi there, Jessica. Hello. Hello, Jessica. How are you? Fine. I'm fine. How old are you? Seven. I love it when seven-year-olds call me. Thank you for calling, hey? Yes. What do you want to ask the naked scientist? I'd like to ask, why do tongues stick to ice when you lick it? Okay. Do you like <laughs> licking ice, darling? Do you like licking Fantastic. ice? Fantastic. Okay. All right, Chris, how do you answer Jessica? Hello, Jessica. What have you been licking? I think she's shy. What have you been licking, Jessica? Ice lollies. Ice lollies. Uh, I knew she was going to say that. Um, the reason for this, Jessica is that the ice lolly is so cold that when you put your tongue against it, your tongue has got a layer of water on it from your saliva, and the saliva touches the very cold ice on the ice lolly and freezes, and you form ice on the surface of your tongue, and that ice sticks your tongue to the ice lolly. Mm. And it doesn't unstick until the warmth from the blood going through your tongue melts the ice that's formed on the surface of your tongue and on the ice lolly and removes your tongue from the ice cube it's effectively put itself into. So it's your tongue freezing onto the ice lolly because it's so cold. And it doesn't just happen with ice lollies. Anything that's very, very cold can do this. Mm. So if you go out on a really cold day, you have to be very careful if you see a piece of metal, for example, and you have damp fingers, because if you touch the, fing the, the metal with your cold hands, your fingers can stick onto the metal surface, and in some cases it sticks so hard that you end up peeling off the skin on the end of your fingers. So people who work with very cold things in factories and for their jobs. They often wear gloves to protect themselves for that reason. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for asking such a brilliant, brilliant question, Jessica. Call us again. Let's go to Ruby in Velkhamud. Hi. Hi, good morning. Um, I've also got a question that's got to do with cold and, and heat. I have been living 15 years against the hill here of the Tigerberg and I look down on the Cape Town International Airport and I find inevitably every time that when it's cloudy, um, the first place where I would see the sunshine is the patch over the airport. Would this be because of the heat that the aeroplanes generate or is this just coincidental? I think it's probably coincidental, but forgive me if I'm um, doing a disservice by saying that. But when it comes to aeroplanes, they can nonetheless change the weather. And there was a paper published in the journal Science a couple of years ago, well, I think it was actually midway through last year, and they were actually looking at many of the major airports around the world, and they showed that you get these interesting cloud formations, which are called hole-punch clouds, or linear uh, canal clouds, and it's where aeroplanes go through a certain uh, height of above the ground, and the low pressure that's generated around the tips of the propellers on propeller-driven planes or around the tip, uh, tips of the wings on jet aircraft, those low pressures cause all of the, the moisture or the water droplets in the air to um, coalesce and you end up with uh, a hole because they form droplets initially of ice because the temperature falls in the low-pressure area, and this causes ice crystals, and the ice crystals attract more water onto them, and this then falls out of the sky's rain, and it leaves a hole in the cloud. And the onward effect of that is to have more rainfall around airports compared with the 
other areas around the surrounding country. So you get airports do change the weather,、mm -hmm. you change the cloud configurations, and you make rain around airports. So you're you're right in the sense that there's definitely a phenomenon. Whether the one you're seeing, because I'd have to I'd have to think about that in more detail before giving a flip answer. But、uh, it's definitely true that planes can affect the weather. Thank you very much, Ruby. I have a question of my own, Chris. What causes a headache? Well, headaches can be caused by all manner of things.、Um, the most common cause of headache is what we call a tension headache, and this is very often because a person is stressed and they spend their whole time frowning, and so the muscles across the top of the scalp end up in a sort of tension state, and that's uncomfortable. The other kinds of headache you get include headaches because of dehydration. If you don't drink enough, don't eat enough during the day, then you lose total body water, and the brain is a very wet. It's like a, a sponge, and if you extract water from the body, the brain shrinks a tiny bit, and this puts tension on the supporting structures, chiefly the meninges, the layers around the brain, and they're very sensitive to inflammation or deformation, and so you, you feel pain that way. Then there's、uh, the Problem of migraine. If people have a migraine,、mm -hmm. um, this is actually electrical activity in the brain showing abnormal patterns, and this irritates the nerve cells running in the meninges and in blood vessels, and produces that very characteristic, very painful pain. And then there are some other manifestations of headaches, which can be a phenomenon called cluster headaches, which are common in young men, come in runs and then they disappear. And then there are other things like someone bashes their head or has trauma or some other more serious things that can can sometimes cause headaches, like high pressure inside your head and that kind of thing. So there's a whole raft of reasons. The most common one being that a person is either stressed and has a tension headache or tired,、um, or that they haven't drunk enough. All right, our lines are still open for you on 021-446-0567-011-8830702. Imaka and Rory, I see your calls right after this. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clappy. All right, we're stripping science down to its bare essentials with the naked scientist Chris Smith on o two one four four six o five six seven o double one double eight three o seven o two. And remember, you can get more information about the naked scientists. Visit their website at www dot thenakedscientists dot com. That's www dot thenakedscientists dot com. And、uh, they are on Twitter as well, which is、um, uh, the, the Twitter handle. It's a handle, right? At Naked Scientist, let's go to Imaka in Pretoria. Hi. Hi, Rudy. I just want to know from the Naked Scientist if one has been in a dream and see the person was running in the dream. When the person eventually wakes up, the person is like tired as if he's been running in actual life physically. <laughs>、uh, would the Would the Naked Scientist explain this to me? Is the person you, <laughs> Imaka? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> Hello, Marco.、Um, I I think the answer is because I think someone asked us something similar before, and it was along the lines of, "Can I dream myself thin?"、Um, I think this is the same person who said, "Can they think themselves thin? If they did some hard sums or something, could they still sit on the sofa and not have to do any exercise to lose weight?"、Um, when you're dreaming, what's actually happening is the parts of the brain which control the Thing that you're experiencing in your dream are becoming active again, as though they were really experiencing that thing 
when you're alive and awake and doing something during the day. The difference is that the messages that would normally make you respond are not being translated down the spinal cord to affect your muscles. In fact, a person is effectively paralysed when they sleep so that you don't act out your dreams. Scientists now know where the part of the brain is that does this. It's a region called the subcerulea region, which is in the brainstem, and it seems to become active when a person is dreaming and it stops the flow of motor information going down the spinal cord. So although you are experiencing in your mind's eye what would happen were you to really do that thing and when you're dreaming and seeing images the visual parts of the brain that decode what comes into your eyes they're becoming active and presenting those images to your consciousness as though you're really experiencing them but you're not of course so actually you're not exerting huge amounts of physical effort when you're dreaming because your body is effectively paralyzed mm. but you are nonetheless doing some mental gymnastics and those mental gymnastics are really important because if you stop people dreaming and you stop people having good quality REM sleep which is rapid eye movement sleep that's when uh, we think people are dreaming or when when brainwave activity suggests they're dreaming that seems to be psychologically restorative if people are prevented from going through those patterns of sleep then they don't feel rested and they don't learn things as well they can't remember things as well um it may have a modest effect on your metabolism though because uh, you know we've all woken up in a cold sweat from a nightmare for example so when you get excited about something in a dream you can still put your blood pressure up you can still make your heart race and as a result this will increase your metabolism and it will increase the physical demands on your body but certainly not the same uh, as it would do were you to really do some of the physical feats that you see yourself doing in your dreams all right thank you very much imaka you must tell that person to stop running in their dreams since it's not you let's go to rory in brinstead hi 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 guys um i just had a question uh, around um whether there have been any scientific studies around how medical advances recently are having any effect on the, on the gene pool as a, as a whole so effectively negating the survival of the fittest theory mm. Hello, Rory. Yes, I think you raise a very good point because you're saying um, historically, if there was no medicine and no intervention and a, a person had some kind of problem that rendered them vulnerable, then natural selection would weed them out and lead behind a population who are fitter. Mm-hmm. And nowadays doctors come along and we squirt drugs into people and give them various treatments and cesarean sections and all this kind of thing. Are we therefore breeding a, a genetically unfit population? And the answer to this is that we will be preserving in the gene pool individuals who nature probably would have removed but are they therefore bad for the gene pool? Well, not necessarily because they, there's a tiny number of them and so the the likelihood that a person will breed that gene into the wider population uh, on a major scale is small unless some other kind of selective pressure makes that gene advantageous so that's probably less likely and also there may be a benefit because if you take malaria as a good example people who live in various African countries mm-hmm. are much more likely to suffer with the condition sickle cell anemia which if you're offered the choice would you like sickle cell anemia most people are going to say no that's a, a very bad thing to have because it can cause blood problems 
But if you live in a malarious area, you are protected from malaria if you're a carrier for sickle cell anemia. So you end up with what's called a balanced polymorphism, where an apparently and initially deleterious trait ends up more common in the gene pool than it should do because it confers, on the flip side, some kind of advantage. We also think that the cystic fibrosis gene is more common in the population than one would expect on the basis that if you end up as a... Uh, an actual physical cystic, someone who's got two copies of the gene not working, so you get cystic fibrosis, that seems like a bad outcome. In fact, carriers for cystic fibrosis may be protected against certain kinds of gastrointestinal infection from things like salmonella. So therefore, again, you've got a potential balanced polymorphism. So I'm, I'm not of the opinion that medicine is going to make a huge difference to uh, the overall fitness of the human race, because I think the, the influences are probably quite weak compared with the mass influences of and the selection pressure applied by the environment worldwide as a whole thank you very much rory in brianston uh let's go to uh rian rian in rosebank hi hi uh, good day guys there's a general belief that when babies get teeth that they have a runny stomach and it's some people or most people think it's a physical physiology thing but uh, research came out a week ago saying that it's because of bacteria babies pick up from eating stuff that they pick up What's the scientist's opinion about this matter? Hello, Rianne. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, having watched my own kids uh, when they're having teething, what they do is that they pick up everything and anything and it goes straight in their mouth. Mm. Um, when my daughter was little, I saw her crawling along this in this person's garden. We'd gone around <laughs> someone's house for a barbecue or something. She was crawling along on the ground. And, and she looked like she had something in her mouth. And so I said, what have you got in your mouth? And of course she smiled at me and out came a giant muddy pebble. Um, so kids will put anything in there because they want to chew on things because their gums are uncomfortable. And it's a bit like if you knock yourself, you want to rub it better. Yes. I think by putting things in their mouths, they are, uh, apart from the fact that babies put everything in their mouths anyway, I think they're sort of doing the, the oral equivalent of, of rubbing the sore area better. And there will be, therefore, a higher likelihood that bugs are going to go in. And the kinds of bugs that affect kids and cause bad stomach problems include viruses norovirus especially and adenovirus and these are very stable in the environment so if a kiddie goes to an area where someone has been symptomatic with one of those bugs uh, and they pick them up from the environment then they'll catch them so i think it's just a, a, a really a manifestation of of the fact that there's more exposure or more opportunity to acquire one of these uh, tummy bugs at the time because they're putting more things in their mouths Yes, yes. Uh, thank you very much, Rian. I have an SMS question here from Paul. Um, there's a stowaway who, who died, uh, who got on board a British Airways flight from Cape Town to London. And when the, uh, the, the aircraft landed, he had frozen to death. Uh, and there were very low oxygen levels and so on. So Paul wants to know, why don't the tires of a plane in the landing gear, in the landing gear bays explode at such low pressures at 30,000 feet? Yeah. Yeah, hi Paul. So th that's a very good point. When your plane goes off of the ground, where at the ground you have atmospheric pressure, uh, as you go up in the air, your pressure goes lower and lower and lower, 
and also the therefore partial pressure of oxygen is lower so it's much harder to pick up oxygen from the air and put it into your blood because the pressure is low and so anybody exposed to those sorts of pressures therefore cannot oxygenate their blood and therefore their tissues sufficiently or efficiently so they asphyxiate and this is why when people climb up Everest which is 29,000 uh, feet um, when they go up there um, they need to take um, supplemental oxygen for that very reason because otherwise you just cannot get enough oxygen in and you lose consciousness or you don't stay there very long which is what the people who do the unoxygenated ascents do and um, the temperature similarly because you're going up in the air um, air pressure is falling air is expanding temperature is falling for that reason and the radiation from the sun that warms us up is actually re-radiation from the ground's surface so you're getting further away from the warm patch of air against the ground which is why it's cold so you freeze aircraft tires on the other hand are an amazing feat of engineering they are incredibly robust and resilient and they have to be because they are going to be having to withstand enormous changes in temperature they have to withstand enormous stresses and pressures because when a plane weighing several hundred tons is going along a runway at several well you know a couple of hundred miles an hour um then these tires are being accelerated from a standstill to those sorts of speeds and therefore getting very hot very quickly because they're warming up as they skate along the concrete that they have to be over-engineered to a massive degree they do burst from time to time mm -hmm. but they are extremely resilient and they're an amazing piece of engineering and so they're built to withstand that sort of treatment let's go to Mabena in Maryland's high Yes, really. I just want to ask this here. Uh, as I'm driving, say, in my taxi here, there are four rows of seats from back to front. But an interface Oh, no. Sorry about that, Mabena. Your line is just so bad. Absolutely bad. What we'll do is we'll take your details and you'll be our first caller next week. Sorry about that. Chris, thank you very much for chatting to us. We do it again next Pleasure. week. Pleasure. Have a good weekend, everyone. Bye-bye.